You are listening to the Robin of Sherwood podcast, season two, episode six, The Enchantment. Hello everybody and welcome to the Robin of Sherwood podcast. My name is Sietse Wilman and in this podcast I talk about the classic 1980s TV series Robin of Sherwood. Now without further ado I'd like to introduce my co-host Mr. Andy Chesney. Yeah hi everyone, good to be back again. It's also very good to have you back on. Now to kick off the podcast uh, you always ask a trivia question to me and the listeners. Uh, so what is it this time? Okay so including both Robins. Um, how many of the Marys do we see in in Nottingham Dungeon, and and can you can, can you even name them? So, out of all seven Marys, but effectively eight. So, out of both Robins and all the Marys, how many who who can name all of all of the ones which were which at some point were seen down in um in Nottingham in Nottingham Castle Dungeon throughout the whole show? That's, that's an interesting one. I'm gonna make a list in the in my head whilst uh, doing the main part uh, of the show, and then we'll come back to your question uh, at the end of the podcast. Uh, now, before we have a look at what goes down in the enchantment, I'd like to reflect a bit on the last podcast we did, which was about the audiobooks that came out last year. Uh, we had quite some responses uh, on it. Luckily, most people seemed to seem to like what we did. One of the people that responded uh, on our Facebook page was the producer of the audios, Barnaby Eaton-Jones. Now, he wasn't happy with everything we said in the show and had a, a very uh, civil um, interaction with him about that. It was quite an elaborate uh, response he made um, and everybody can still read it on uh, facebook.com slash Sherwood podcast. But I feel it's only fair to address uh, a few points that he, uh, that he made. One of the things he wrote was, um, I do have a duty as a producer to stand up uh, for uh, one particular point you mentioned at the very end of the podcast. Uh, you say that these are just fan fiction done in a professional way. And he writes, uh, I understand where you're coming from, but these certainly can be classed as fan fiction. This is an official Robin of Sherwood product written by a professional and in all cases award-winning writers. Now, uh, I'm, I'm the one uh, who said that, who called it a, a professional-made fan fiction. And I'd like to clarify that uh, I didn't mean that to discredit or disrespect the writers at all. I don't think uh, being a fan is a, is a negative thing. Uh, I just wanted to point out that uh, these audio adventures are something new and should be viewed and appreciated uh, as such. So um, I wanted to, uh, to point that out. And another thing that Barnaby addresses in his uh, comment is that uh, we talked about struggling uh, to keep awake when listening to the audios. And he says, well, um, I know that can happen uh, and it's not a new criticism of audio stories or plays. It was just an odd opening point that seemed to be repeated a fair number of times. Now, here's the thing. Um, uh, Barnaby seems to take this as criticism. But this podcast is basically just us uh, talking about our personal experience. I mean, we're not professional critics. We're just uh, fans of Robin of Sherwood and we th share our thoughts and feelings. And well, in this case, we both um, uh, fell asleep sometimes during uh, the audiobooks. Uh, maybe it says something about us. Maybe it says something about the audiobooks, maybe both. But um, yeah, I just wanted to uh, to point it out. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I mean, we, we only touched on it briefly, actually, the dozing off sort of during it. And it wasn't, I don't think it was something we particularly emphasized on. But yeah, you know, it was just one, you know, it was just an experience we had with it briefly. But I mean, we, we both, 
we we both like audio. Um, that's something I'd like to certainly get across to fans. I, I even I even I did you know I, I, I said that I, I don't have any other audio books. I still I still in general I listen to a lot of audio stuff, whether it's um, podcasts of other stuff or, or football related things or wh- whatever. You know I, I do I do listen to podcasts quite a bit, and I and I have done over the years. I think there's always a tendency to get tired. I think if, especially if you're lying down, you know, listening to to, to things, you you know, I certainly get tired. Um, it's, that's not directly a criticism of the audio books. That just comes with the medium of it. Yeah, and um, it, it doesn't even have to be a negative thing. I mean, um, as as a child, uh, and your parents come in to read your bedtime story, if you doze off, um, I don't think the parents will be very uh, offended by it and say what. <laughs> did you think I did, what, did a good job, or did the story bore you? It's just, uh, well, it's just something <laughs> just now uh, uh, just came to mind. But, yeah. but I do think that it, it, it's good for everybody listening to this to know that, well, uh, our point of view is just two fans uh, chatting about our um, experience and our uh, opinions, and it's very um, in that way. It's it's very personal. I mean. Yeah, it's just what we feel about it. And we don't even have to um, agree with each other about it. And uh, that's what makes it fun, I think. Yeah, I agree, yeah. That point of view goes for uh, both the uh, original TV series uh, and the new uh, stuff that comes out. Uh, um, and today uh, we're going to talk about an episode of the original series, uh, the sixth episode of the second season, called uh, The Enchantment. Now, um, this episode starts with some uh, images of a hut in the forest and a female voice uh, doing some sort of spell, saying several several times, uh, I conjure you. Uh, The woman identifies herself as Lilith, and when we see her, she holds a puppet of a hooded man and a female figure. And then um, the famous uh, tune uh, comes in. Now, what kind of magic do you think we've just seen? Well, it's, I guess it's just witchcraft, isn't it? I mean, it, we've, it's a witch. We see a witch in a hut, don't we? She's kind of trying to conjure some kind of um, sort of force, isn't she? But um, it's not like full-on chanting or anything, but it's um, she seems to be sowing the seeds of this black, you know, this kind of black magic that she's involved with. Um, what, what do you think? Well, it, it reminded me a bit of voodoo, you know, using the using the two puppets and string them together. Mm-hmm. So, so I thought yeah. maybe maybe that's where the inspiration uh, came from to to um, portray it in this way. It's it's also a very um, a visual way to show what she was working on. I mean, we don't know at this, at this moment just yet, but you know, seeing a hooded man and a female figure, well, we know that uh, Robin is probably involved. And uh, yeah, I thought it was an interesting way to. Um, to, uh, mm. to portray the magic. Anyway, after the title tune, uh, we see the intense face of uh, little John, who's uh, pulling a thread uh, through a needle, which uh, I thought was kind of a joke because he really stares at this uh, uh, so intensely that you think it's something very serious is uh, is going on, but um, it's just uh, it's just them doing some uh, some chores, because we we'll also see Marion doing much his hair. Just some more uh, footage of everyday life uh, in the forest. And then uh, Tuck uh, comes up to John and dares him to play a game with Will. You picked this moment as your uh, one of your favorite <laughs> scenes from this episode. Uh, so we're going to have a listen uh, to how, uh, how the game uh, worked out. And then uh, you can tell us uh, why you liked it so much. John! What? John! What do you want? Now, you reckon you're as strong as any of us, don't you? As strong? 
I'd say I'm a sight stronger. Well, here's your chance to prove it. Oh, I don't need to prove anything. It's only a game. Stay there. Will. Now, you stick these in your mouth. Eh? And then you hit one another over the head till one of you's had enough. Oh, it's daft. Come on, John. Oh, all right, then. <laughs> right, John. Go for smooth. Rough. Oh, smooth. Your first, Will. Tuck your head, John. Tuck your head. Down, come on. One, two, three. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> One, two, three. Ooh. Ooh, John. I bet you felt that one, didn't you? I find it's one of the funniest scenes with the Marys throughout the whole sh show. You know, I think um, in some ways it's a slight shame. It's kind of interrupted with um, with Lilith's kind of, you know, witchcraft because you, you I, in some ways, I would have loved, I would have loved that game to flow, to to flow right through. But I, I just find, I think, I think you, you know, we, we we saw many times the Marys do these fun games together in the forest. And things like that but I, I this always right from when i was a kid this was always one of my favorite probably my favorite game they did and i just i just love the banter and and the way they're tricking little john with the with, with the spoons it's just it's really hilarious i think really it's it's um yeah. it's really funny the way they wind for it those up. Who, who can't um, no. remember that uh, vividly uh, we can't hear it on the audio but they have to smack each other uh, on the head with uh, spoons in their mouth and then when john uh, looks down he can't see that it's actually tuck who hits him on the head so that's uh, i mean if it's um yeah it's much isn't it that's right much is hitting him so basically much will yeah much, that's it yeah, yeah. so when so every time little yeah every time john ducks down you've got no yeah you've got will but then much both whacking him at the same time with with um with separate spoons and yeah little john has no idea and it's um yeah it's very funny yeah and, and, he, and i think you could still uh, do this if you're in a bar with friends or anything um, um, you can get people fooled by it so uh, it's just a small funny uh thing um and showing also that everything is all right i mean uh, there are having fun everything seems to be uh, good in the gang of, uh, of outlaws but at that moment like you said uh, Lilith is uh, interrupting it because she completes her enchantment and then uh, calls Robin to her and we see Robin's face go blank and without saying a word he walks off from the camp I think it was very very well acted by uh, by Michael Prey to uh, you know that his, his facial expression really changes overnight that was very well done actually. yeah definitely um in fact, I, th I think this episode, um, in general, is actually a really good, really good one for Michael Prey's acting because I think he he kind of had a bit more of a challenge in this one. I think he had to demonstrate different emotions in this one, and kind of yeah, facially he had to make he, he made himself look quite different. I thought it was really interesting how he how he really did kind of become bad and 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 enchanted. He I thought he pulled it off really 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 well. Um, and yeah, they didn't did use any, any props to pull it off. I mean, uh, when um, no. the other outlaws were uh, enchanted in uh, Swords of Wayland, they have these these lenses in their eyes that make their eyes look look uh, milky yeah. and weird. Uh, and in this case, he just does, does it all by himself. He's not using any props like fake teeth or anything. Uh, 
No, that's right. And it's, I, I just found it really effective. I mean, I, th I thought his acting is brilliant. I mean, as we say, we'll be talking through the story. But I mean, but there's a few. Yeah, as it goes, as, as it carries on. I mean, for example, you see him talking with, with Much and, you know, when Much, um, when he later on, he asks Much to free him and things like that. And it, he's he's really, yeah, he's, he's really creepy, really quite, um, really does seem bad, you know. Yeah, it changes his voice actually as well if you if you notice and you know he's really really enchanted by the whole thing yeah um so we see um uh, robin storming off uh and then he meets uh, lilith in the forest and together they go to her uh, her hut and then there's also an interesting moment when robin uh, enters the hut he does not see the simple muddy um, a hut that we see but he sees a room filled with white sheets and water and a, a big blue diamond and also uh, Lilith herself instantly looks a lot better visually I thought I loved the way that the way they got that hut to look from Robin's perspective I thought that again I thought that looked really impressive on screen you know the, the way they made it yeah this whole sort of white um kind of sparkly image of the whole place and, and of course you've got all these jewels and you know all these kind of th things you know in, in enhancing the, the hat and I, yeah i thought that was really uh, they put a lot of effort into that um you know they really pulled that off actually it was um because you, you could really kind of see it from robin's eyes you know and of course as you say lilith also looked more attractive and um and it just yeah it really did seem quite spellbound he really is under her spell and uh, she hands him a drink and um Later, uh, Lilith uh, tells Robin uh, that he needs to prove his love for her by bringing her uh, Hearn's silver arrow. We only ever see it in Robin Hood and the Sorcerer and the and here in the Enchantment. So that's the only two times that we ever actually see the arrow. Yeah. So in the whole of Robin Hood. Well, in a major way, this uh, whole episode is a is a is a callback to um, Robin Hood and the Sorcerer. Uh, Robin hesitates when uh, when Lilith asks this uh, from her. So so there's a little bit of himself still in play i mean he doesn't instantly say i'll do it for you we see him hesitate a bit but then uh, in the end he he does say that he will bring lilith the arrow um then we cut uh, to nottingham castle we see the sheriff there's a great shot of him uh, sitting on a, on a big uh, throne like a chair and uh, he talks uh, the baron de belem and how he used to trade prisoners for precious stones and uh, at that moment they have uh, caught a woman who was one of the Belem's uh, followers and uh, the sheriff of course uh, wants the jewels and he tells that not only uh, to, to Gisborne but he also explains it to a guy named Ralph yeah I, I kind of felt this Ralph thing was maybe a follow-up after the after the children of Israel um, and obviously we know there's some problems between Gisborne and the sheriff there when you know the sheriff Gisborne um, walks out on the sheriff doesn't he to um pursue that jewish girl um but anyway yeah i wonder if like there's meant to be a bit of continuity here because if you think about it the sheriff you know the gisborne is the sheriff's sheriff's henchman you know he's right his kind of deputy so i think i wonder if there's a bit of the sheriff's kind of brought ralph in as a, possibly a bit of competition for gisborne and because otherwise there's, otherwise there's no other reason for this Ralph guy to be there because there's no dialogue that says, oh, you know, the sheriff explains that the sheriff sent for him. You know, if, if for example, the sheriff knew Ralph had, had knowledge in a certain area, I, I don't see why they wouldn't have put that into the script, you know. But no no particular reason is ever is ever given for Ralph being there. So I can only assume it's meant to be a bit of continuity, perhaps as a, as a consequence to perhaps Gisborne's actions. You know, maybe he's just kind of bringing in a bit of competition for him and just kind of yeah, well, think ahead. Having Gisborne realise that he's replaceable. 
yeah, it, it may be that he doesn't. It, it could be that he doesn't actually have any real intention of replacing Gisborne. Perhaps he might just be doing it as a way. Yes, as, as a way of kind of um, annoying Gisborne almost. You know, kind of just, just teaching him a lesson a bit in a way. You know, just by to, yeah. by having another guy there to sort of discuss things with in front of Gisborne. You know, I, I thought it, it, yeah. it works because uh, Gisborne. Um, um, Without uh, uh, letting the sheriff know, he uh, and the torturer uh, decide to question the woman um, the, about uh, the whereabouts of the of the jewels, and uh, the sheriff finds out and gets angry about it. And then Gisborne says, "Well, I wanted to uh, surprise you when I would have found out where the jewels actually are." So, so, so maybe it, it's already uh, urging Gisborne on to make an effort to please the sheriff. Yeah, well, that kind of backfires on the sheriff in a way, doesn't it? Because Gisborne, as we know, takes it to, to much darker depths, doesn't he? When he um, with it with his treatment of Ralph. Yeah, well, but, yeah. It, it makes me wonder. Uh, did Gisborne? Uh, I just called it that. It maybe Gisborne was urged on by the competition of Ralph to to secretly question the woman. Then again, it could also be his intention to find out where the jewels are, and um, uh, so he can run off with them. Well, yeah, and there's a hint of that later on, isn't there? Because he, we actually see Gisborne with the jewels, and he says, "I'm free of you now, sheriff," doesn't he? And he, um, and he seems really excited. Yeah, yeah and, and, and the sheriff finds out about this uh, this questioning, and uh, well, he, he immediately tells mm. Gisborne off, saying, "Well, uh, I don't like surprises, Gisborne. Mm. I never have, especially if you're involved." So he uses that immediately against Gisborne in a very uh, funny uh, way, I think, and a very mean way as well. Now, uh, back in the forest, yeah. uh, Marion is obviously uh, very upset that Robin has left. Um, she feels that something is wrong and that she somehow lost connection with Robin. Uh, Nazir follows his tracks and can tell that Robin has met with somebody. And then they see Robin, but he runs away. Uh, he hits Will in the face with his elbow, uh, but they uh, manage to catch him anyway. Marion can tell straightforward uh, uh, he's bewitched. They, they don't know what's got into Robin, but they, they clearly know something's wrong. And um, yeah, they, they're struggling to kind of know what kind of how to deal with this, really. In the end, we know that they they go. Well, Marion says, you know, we should we need go go to her and, you know, we need to um, we need we need his help, you know. And also that there's another shot where we um, get to see the world from Robin's uh, perspective now, because we see the Marys <laughs> with slightly blurred faces. So I think it's it's very uh, nice that we sometimes we get li small um, insights into what Robin is experiencing. We first we've seen it with the hut changing into a beautiful place. Now we see it with with Mary's. Uh, and yeah. as you said, um, they bring uh, Robin back to the camp. They tie him up. Uh, they decide to go to Hearn for help, uh, but much sneaks off, and Robin persuades him to set him free. He even goes so far as to saying, I shall die unless you free me. Robin's kind of playing on the simplicity of Much's character, isn't he? He, he knows that um, Much will always kind of believe anything he says. And um, and at first, Much questions it, actually, doesn't he? He sort of says, you know, you won't die. And, and you know, in the, um, <clears throat> but in the end, Robin, he really, he, he's, um, he, he actually snaps at Much. And he, he kind of like, you know, dem dem really demands him to free him and yeah, Robin's quite intimidating here um, and again it's, it's great as I was saying earlier it's great acting but by, by Prade the way he, um, he, he he pulls he pulls off this sort of um, bad side to Robin and um, 
and you can see why much freedom in the end you know he, he was he was quite he was very intimidating um the way he was kind of talking to much and um especially when he snaps at the end there yeah but of course the other marys are, are naturally really cross with with much you know or disappointed in him and um but they kind of they they try not to sort of be too hard on him but um yeah but it's true. frustrating and, and the also they, they don't um uh, follow robin or try to track him down again I thought that that was a bit odd. I mean, they found him before, so why don't they go after him again? Well, it was, well, it was dark, wasn't it? Though it had got darker by this stage. So when when Robin had run away from the camp, it was it was dark then. But by the time they heard much call out, they obviously they all turned round. Robin was already gone. You know, he was out of sight by the time they all sort of realised what had um what had happened with with much. But yeah, that's that's a fair point. If you remember, they when they when they eventually find Lilith, Lilith's hut, when they're in it's daylight again, then isn't it? And I think you'll find as it does pick up some tracks and things to help them, uh, yeah, to help them get to Lilith's hut. But um, yeah, that's true. Um, uh, back in the uh, castle, we find out what the tortured uh, woman uh, has said when he was interrogated by uh, by uh, Gisborne. And uh, it doesn't seem to make much sense at first. Uh, she said things like uh, the eye, the eye, take no sets, weird things. Um, but then um, G- uh, Ralph uh, steps forward and uh, uh, he makes something of it, uh, the eye of Satan. And he knows that that's a, a gargoyle on uh, Castle de Belém. And he immediately gets praise from the sheriff for uh, pointing this out. He says, uh, my dear Ralph, something tells me that you'll go far. So he's, he's an interesting guy, this Ralph character. He's clearly very knowledgeable because um, he's Ralph of Huntingdon. But it's worth pointing out there's no connection that we there's no connection that we know of to, to Robert of Huntingdon's family or anything. Michael Prade informed them early on in the in the actual production. So I, th- I think you'll find very early on when they started filming series two, that's when that's when the cast and crew and everybody knew Prade was had announced he was going to leave. But I, but in terms of Kip actually writing the stories, the, these were probably already most of these were probably already kind of scripted and that. So you see, yeah, it, it seemed in the end it just seems like a bit of a coincidence that they've that he's actually been called Ralph of Huntington. The fact is, he has a purpose in this episode. He remains a bit of a mystery um, in Robin of Sherwood, this Ralph character. But at the end of the day... And, we, and, you and know, at this it, point, um, uh, hunting on is, is just a name, and they, they yeah, didn't realise that uh, they would make Robert uh, of Huntingdon the new Robin Hood. So, mm. And then uh, we go to uh, Marion. She takes a boat and uh, goes to see uh, Hearn. Um, there's some nice imagery uh, of uh, smoke on the water and Hearn standing there. Uh, but we also see Robin, uh, who goes by land uh, to the cave and uh, sneaks inside uh, uh, to steal the arrow from Hearn. Now, th- there's this weird thing. I, I watched this on my uh, Blu-ray DVD, and the subtitles is uh, quite a bit different than the audio. That, that was strange, I thought. Um, I mean, they say bound by sorcery and then the, the subs read uh, shackled by witchcraft. Don't know, don't um, know why that is. But the, as you were saying about this whole image with the mist and this, this kind of, um, as Marion's in this little this little lake area. I, I really like the setting of this Hearn's Cave. Did, did you? I thought it was, um, it, it looks, I thought it was really good, you know. 
I know we've been to a lot of locations. <laughs> I've been to. I, I will comment on this one though. I, I, it's it's a really it's it's a lovely it's a really nice setting. This um this this cave. I'd recommend. Well, I recommend most of them, but <laughs> the um but this is actually this is this is Nabbit's Pool, which is actually it's very it's it's only about a mile or so away from Lee Woods, um which was obviously one of the main forests they used. But it is a separate area. This this Abbot's Pool bit, and it's um it's a bit it's just it's a short drive away from Lee Woods, but it's it's a really impressive little really impressive lake, and it's um oh it looks fantastic yeah it really really looks impressive. The cave the actual cave where you see Robin go into is this is is often the case. It looks much bigger on screen. It's only quite a small little cave bit. This is the bit where Robin goes into, and um, Hearn looks quite a commanding figure, doesn't he? Um, yeah, he looks great. The location, I, I agree. It, it looks great. It also made me wonder why uh, Marion would take a boat there if you can also uh, walk up there by land. But I think that's just uh, um, from a, a, to make a nice visual scene out of it. Don't you think? But when I actually went, you can't, you couldn't walk into the cave, unfortunately, because I actually, I'd, I'd hoped to maybe just quick, you know, just briefly go inside, just like Robin did. Yeah, you can't, because if there's still was, a silver arrow in there, I mean, it would have yeah, made a because of the um, here, right? <laughs> it would have been, yeah. Um, because of the water, it was too, um, yeah, the water ran right in, into the cave when I was there, so you, you couldn't have walked in into the cave at all. But I stood, I stood as close to it as I could, and. I was able. You, I was literally able to touch the sort of lean against the cave, as you know. Um, but anyway, yeah, it's a great setting that, and they they um, it's a real it's a, it's a little gem that location they found for for that cave setting, yeah. And it, um, and I, I really like the way that they get Marion, you know, to row across it. Mm. Yeah, and she has a little yeah, talk with uh, with Hearn, and Hearn says something interesting um, that Robin uh, soon must face his greatest uh, of enemies. Yeah. Now, mm. do you think uh, that refers to uh, the Baron, or also for is uh, foreshadowing um, the next episode uh, called "The Greatest Enemy," uh, which is death, I suppose. Yeah. No, I think it's foreshadowing the greatest enemy, and it's Sam. But it's interesting because obviously, with the Baron being such a, a powerful force, you, when you're watching the episode, it's easy to think, oh, you know, and yeah, he you know he's, he means he means his, you know that Robin's confrontation with the baron is, is going to be coming up again and so yeah you can you can interpret it both ways because obviously you know you, as you're watching it especially for the first time you could think um you could easily think he just means as in what's going to happen later that episode but no, i think it's quite clear that that with the episode order the greatest enemy does follow on next and um yeah so indeed it is a uh, it's looking ahead to um to that and then Hearn um, gives Marion some sort of potion, um, but after a whole day of searching, they still can't find Robin uh, anywhere. So uh, Marion obviously is really, really upset, and uh, she has a nice bit of uh, interaction uh, with Will, and I really liked it. Uh, Will uh, comforts her and promises her that they'll they'll find him, and it, I thought it was very uh, touching to see Will's uh, softer side uh, in this moment. Yeah, we saw a similar side of Will with um, with Janet, didn't we? With um, in in series one with in the Richard Elston. Um. We see uh, Robin uh, presenting the arrow to Lilith, and together they go to Castle de Belém, which is in uh, ruins now. Uh, we get told that um, scared locals uh, burned the castle down after the Belém had died, 
Um, we see some flashbacks from Robin's encounter with the Baron in Robin Hood and the Sorcerer, and eventually killing him with the arrow. And Lilith uh, explains, uh, well, sh she was there. She was one of uh, of his mistress's followers. We're not exactly sure about that. Um, and she says that uh, the body of the Baron was never found, and he lies in a circle of power. And then we see Robin removing a heavy tombstone, and we see the Baron lying there, completely intact, yeah, r ready to return. The, the bit where, you know, when they, when they actually place, when Lilith, Places the arrow obviously in 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 the Baron's hands. Did you find it spooky the way? Do you remember when the Baron's eyes suddenly open? Don't they? They keep they sort of flash away, and you know you sort of see his eyes go, and then they and then you see him suddenly revive. And it's quite yeah, it's, it's a great scene. Um, we, we get told that it's the uh, day of Mercury and the man who killed him and the mean by which he died, and then then Lilith throws out another spell. Uh, we, there's the sound effect of, of a heartbeat in it. I thought that worked really well when that came in. We know he's alive, and then first his hands start to move a bit, and then, like you said, his his eyes open. It's uh, it's very very well done, I think. You know, the Baron says to him, "You know, her and you know her and forced you to become his champion and <laughs> things like that." And yeah, it, um, so yeah, it's I mean, it's yeah. a good job the Marys got there just in time, didn't they? Because um, yeah. as the Baron says, yeah, the Baron says to Lilith, Lilith at midnight, bring me his his heart, and um, I think you get a feeling that that's probably going to be the end of Robin actually, when if it, if it got to that. So, meanwhile, uh, Ralph and Gisborne they enter the castle uh, as well to retrieve the jewels. Ralph goes down a rope to get to the to the gargoyle where they are uh, hidden, and uh, he actually finds them. And then he has to uh, climb back up. Uh, but as soon as he has handed the jewels to Gisborne, Gisborne cuts the rope, basically killing Ralph by doing that. We see, again we see that wicked side to Gisborne that you see in in you know in patches throughout the show. I mean, this is the thing with Gisborne. There are times when you think there are times when you sympathise a little bit with his character and you think, oh, actually, there's a bit more to him. But then he goes and does something like this again, and you and you just realise now actually he's he's proper bad apple and he proper the idea of Ralph getting any credit for this was too much for um, for Gisborne to bear, so he wanted to be. Gisborne obviously intends to keep the jewels for himself, and he uh, he sees it as a way to to get his uh, freedom. Uh, he shouts it from the window. I'm free of you now, Sheriff. I'm free of you. But then he meets the Baron. I am no spirit. I breathe as you breathe. As your companion breathed. Before you took his life. They are mine. Oh. 
I give you your life to tell the sheriff I command his presence here. Now that was actually my favorite moment from the episode. I, I selected this this audio. Um, one reason I'd like to do it is first um, we uh, hear uh, Gisburn really screaming out from the window that he's free of the sheriff and which is something obviously he wanted to do for a longer time. It has built up over the last few episodes and well, in a way over the whole series that he wants to um, you know, be his own man, not want to be uh, dependent uh, from the uh, sheriff. And also, I, th I think um, the audio uh, in his, uh, his encounter with the Baron is very well done. The scary sounds. And um, they s seem to be reusing some uh, sound effects from uh, the source of Wayland. And uh, when we discussed that episode, somebody on our Facebook page uh, said that we could have given those uh, sound designs uh, some more praise. And uh, I, I kind of agree with it. So, uh, well, we didn't get to it um, in that episode. So I'd like to uh, to do that right now. That it it sounds really creepy and and yeah, definitely. Um, but I love the confrontation here with the Baron and Gisborne, and um, and yeah, the again the acting's brilliant, isn't it? From Robert Addy, he, he really he looks really looks in fear of the Baron, and it's it's just brilliant to watch. I mean. Um, yeah, I think one of the chilling bits, obviously, the, uh, where Gisborne really starts to panic is when the, is when the Baron goes, you know, I, he says, I breathe as you breathe, you know, as your companion breathed before you took his life. And, you know, yeah, Gisborne and, knows and, and the way <laughs> the Baron speaks, I mean, it's very yeah. creepy. Breathe. I don't know yeah. <laughs> how he does it, but it's it really, it really, it uh, almost scares me. He's, so I can really uh, understand why Gisborne yeah. is freaked out. He has this severe tone to him, the Baron, and it's um, and also when the Baron, you know, he says about those jewels are mine, and of course you see Gisborne straight away think, you know, thinking, of course, you know, and and he sort of he wants to pass them to the Baron, but he's too scared to get anywhere close to him. Do you remember? He he sort of just he just sort of throws them down on the floor, just just carefully, kind of in front of him. He doesn't he he doesn't even risk barely walking up to the Baron. He's too scared, and he has to kind of. He sort of holds his hand out to the Baron as in, of course, you know, you, you can have them, but he then just sort of shuffles them onto the floor and doesn't, he, 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 he hasn't, he's too nervous to walk, um, start walking up towards the Baron. But um, well, so I, I like... I, I don't blame him. Uh, it's a very um, a scary situation that he finds himself in. Uh, and then it, when he um, makes it back to the sheriff, the sheriff, of course, is very sarcastic, doesn't believe a word he's saying. And that's that must be very awful for Gisborne as well. I mean, he just had his almost traumatic experience, and then he comes to uh, the sheriff and he says, "Well, I, why are you making up this bizarre story?" And uh, mm. yeah, and again, Robert, well, you know, yeah, the sh again, the, the acting from the sheriff is, is is just so good, isn't it? When when he suddenly sees Gisborne staring behind him, and the sheriff sort of starts to turn around, doesn't he? And of course, he then he's completely fear fearful of the Baron and. Um, you see, Rob, you know Robert Durano because Nick Grace. He's always been brilliant with with the eyes, isn't he? he has, Nick Grace. He does those those eyes with for, for the sheriff, doesn't he? Those sort of starey eyes, and you see him turn round, and his eyes start to, to look in complete um, in complete fear, don't they? When he, he suddenly sees the Baron, and and naturally the sheriff, the first thing he says is, you know, he's, you're you're dead, and 
and the but I love the way the Baron just always just stays so calm. You know, when does a man die, Dorano? You know, you know, and all this <laughs> when his heart stops, or and you know, and all this sort of thing. And it's very yeah, very well done these confrontations. Yeah, it is. Meanwhile, uh, the Marys um, finally have some luck uh, when uh, Edward of Wickham shows up and tells them that uh, he has seen Robin about an hour ago together with a girl. Then we see Robert, uh, Robin and uh, Lilith. They are in her hut again, which still looks lovely in Robin's eyes. She offers him a drink, but then at that point, uh, the Marys burst in. Uh, like you said, uh, Nazir uh, helped uh, track uh, him down to the hut. Marion throws Hearn's potion in Robin's face and uh, they burn the puppets so uh, the, the spell has been broken. Lilith uh, runs out, uh, cries out uh, to Azel as she, as she would. And um, at the same moment, we see the Baron and he realizes that Robin is free again. I like the bit where the Baron instantly, instantly knows that Robin's free of the spell as well, just the way he kind of looks up and he's just like... He is free, you know. She has failed, and yeah, Baron straight away, you know, he's he's, he's onto it, isn't he? You know, he's, he knows that Lilith's failed, and um, Robin's suddenly free of the spell. So now um, the ruins of uh, the castle, the Belem, um, becomes this uh, very crowded place because the sheriff is there, uh, Gisburn is there, uh, the Baron is there, um, and Robin and the Marys go there as well, and uh, Edward joins them. Uh, they uh, go to the castle, they get in a fight uh, with the soldiers uh, outside. Edward is actually fighting against soldiers here, and yet there seems to be no repercussions to this in the follow-up episodes, and especially bearing in mind we know Greatest Enemy um, is is a story that focuses particularly on Wickham um, because of the sheriff's ambush. Um, but but there's, there seems to be no kind of... Um, reference to, to Edward fighting with the Marys here or anything. So, I mean, it's a bit strange that that, that particular point is, is, um, goes unnoticed. But, yeah, you clearly see him fighting against some soldiers. And, <laughs> um, That's true. But, yeah. yeah. I, I, th I think it's one of those things where they know they can't mention it in the story because otherwise the sheriff would have to kill Edward. I think this is the thing. The right, you know, Kip, can't, Kip doesn't want to kill Edward off. So I think it's one of those things they just have to kind of let go a bit. Otherwise, basically they would have to just kill him off. And they, and this is the this is the whole point. You know, they want they they want Edward to be the village elder in in Wickham, and and that and so they have to kind of keep keep him alive. Yeah. If you know what I mean? Um, or, or or they also could have uh, uh, chosen not to have him involved in the actual fighting. Uh, I must say I, I kind of like it that he really springs into action and joins them to the castle <clears throat> oh yeah, i like it yeah it's almost like it's almost like when he's with the marys he he feels a sense of that that part of him is able to come out a little bit but he sh really shouldn't be doing that um <laughs> but, yeah, but, but he, um, he does help out and uh, the marys seem to be winning the fight but then uh, the belem uh, shows up and he conjures a spell um, there's some, some, some hard winds and um, the outlaws realize what's going on and they enter the castle. Um, Robin gets separated from the others and must uh, the Baron alone once again. I think it's a big callback uh, to the first episode. We see the wind, we see Robin losing his weapon. Uh, in the Robin Hood and the Sorcerer it was uh, his uh, bow and this time it's the sword that he loses. Just, just like with in in the first episode, I, I'm not really sure what Robin's 
plan is here to, to kind of get the Baron. You know, he's always. It's good that Robin, it's good that we see that Robin's always brave enough to face the Baron. But you do have to question what what has he got? You know, what what is he hoping to? How is he hoping to beat the Baron here? You know, yeah, it's kind of looking a bit hopeless. And, it, and obviously, as we, you know, and in the end, the Baron tries to kill Robin with the silver arrow. And her and um, arrow will destroy his son. Yeah, that's right. And then her and um, and her turns up, and the um, and he catches the arrow just before it before it kills Robin. And um, so yeah, Robin is you know saved by her in this. Now, how do you feel about um, the way this episode ends? Yeah, I mean, it ends on a stalemate, kind of in a way, doesn't it? I mean, obviously, Robin and and, and the Marys Marys they they manage to you know to get out of Castle Blem alive and that kind you know they they sort of they've got the arrow back obviously her and saved robin and you know and everything's sort of all fine and they go back to sherwood um i think it's a bit of a strange ending to be honest i think the way it's kind of just left open where you see the baron up there I, to be honest i don't know what what i'm think of it really i mean i, th- I think well I, I would have preferred there to have been a more conclusive ending i, I do i would have to say that but i just think you know in general i think with uh, when you look at sort of fan fiction ideas and, and things, when, when you know, in the 30 plus year, 30 years and all that that's, that's been going on since Robin and Sher finished, I think the Baron has, has always remained a bit of a talking point. And um, and so it's just, yeah, it's, it's just kind, kind of quite interesting to think what happens with his character in the end. And, and as I say, I mean, he needed the Silver Arrow, bearing in mind he needs the Silver Arrow to be revived. Once Hearn's then got that arrow back at the end, it, it does leave question marks as to as to you know can the baron actually survive long term for example without the arrow you know or will or will his body perhaps then just shut down again um you know is he revived per, you know for example we don't we don't really know if, if he'll survive long term now at this point or whether he would <clears throat> do you know what i mean or whether he would need need to get the arrow back again in the future it's, it's kind of interesting to sort of think yeah, about that, it really yeah, that is an interesting point i never really considered that i always thought well they needed the arrow to revive him but nobody ever says that they, he needs the arrow to stay alive and also he lets Hearn, the marys and uh, the arrow uh, walk off uh, back to the forest so i think if he needed the arrow to stay alive he would have made a more of an effort to retrieve it back from Hearn. i mean unless he just needed time to kind of you know, obviously, Hearn catching the arrow, Hearn appearing at the end. Perhaps that that was quite a surprise to the Baron. You know, Baron, from the Baron's point of view, you know, he's got the arrow, silver arrow lined up. You know, and he he says, doesn't he? Nothing can can save you. And and he, he uh, maybe the shock of the or you know, and dis- disappointment of Hearn saving Robin. Perhaps it's just left the, the Baron just feeling a bit kind of, you know, he's he's um he sort of his plans have been defeated on that occasion, and maybe he just kind of needs to go away and. And have a rethink about in the future about how to get Robin again or, or get the arrow back. Yeah, it's just, you know this is the thing you just don't know where it's meant to where it's yeah. meant to go after. But. Yeah, maybe, maybe there should have been a bit more action into it. Maybe uh, we could have seen Hearn trying to uh, destroy the Baron, or maybe defend the the Marys by you know having like a magical duel with the Baron. And uh, biding time for the Marys to uh, to make it back to their camp or something something like that. It, it, this way, it was a bit like, oh, I caught the arrow. Now we have a free pass out of the castle, and uh, well, yeah. we'll see you again in the third season. 
<laughs> yeah, yes, it did. It did seem like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, the fact the Baron says, you know, did you really believe you could overthrow me? Suggests that he isn't going to go away anytime soon. It's possible, obviously, if there'd been a series three with, you know, with Robin of Locksley, perhaps, you know, perhaps Richard Carpenter might, you know, perhaps the Baron would have then been back again. Who knows? I don't know. I mean, I, 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 do, I, I do think so. I mean, this I is a, this, the, the ending is a bit of a cliffhanger. I mean, we all know. <gasps> Baron de Belém is back, and and uh, so Robin will have to uh, face him again in the in the third series. But then, well, obviously uh, Robin of Luxley gets replaced with Robert of Huntingdon, and I think they felt that the Baron de Belém was an enemy tied to Robin of Luxley, so they didn't yeah. bring him up again. So it feels a bit of an empty that was promise. Point. But I think at this point they wanted to bring him back to have more um, adventures that involve him and his evil plans yeah i mean i think it was the right decision not to bring him back in series three i will say that i mean despite uh, i know i know golner obviously becomes the the new sorcerer you know he becomes the enemy to to jason's robin because and, and also i think if if, if baron de blem had had say for example he had come back in series three it would have been interesting to see what they would have done with him and robert of huntington but i yeah i, th- I think it's probably best they they left it as part of the as part of the the Michael Prade story, but I think um... yeah, I, I, I'm not sure if I agree on that. I mean, I, I understand why they did it, but the argument against it would be that uh, it's mostly the Baron de Belém against Hearn. In in a way, Robin is more of a of a pawn in their ongoing fight between uh, good and bad and uh, light and darkness. So. Uh, Hearn is still there. He just has a new uh, new champion in play. So I I, th- I think the Baron could have come back in the third series, and and have a go at Hearn or the new Robin even. I think I think where the stories could be a bit limited is that the Baron seems to be someone that works alone. You know, he um, whereas I think <clears throat> Golnar was more. You know, he he. We see him solo in one of in one episode, don't we, Crom Craig? But then, of course, he he then brings up a a crazy gang, you know, obviously the Wolf Gang to, to, and Fenris, and I, I'm not sure what else they would do with the Baron, really, though, if if they brought him back. No, I mean, me neither, perhaps, but, um, you know, where, where the Robin ends up. I mean, we've already seen Robin kill him. We already see Robin kill him with the Silver Arrow in in Robin Hood and the Sorcerer. What I mean, ultimately, say say he comes back in series three. I mean, what, what do they do then? Do they get Robin just to shoot? Perhaps Robin shoots him with the silver arrow and kills him off again, or something. I mean, what do you know? What I mean, ultimately, I'm, I'm that, not sure that, what. That's a fair point, but I, I I do think that they must have um, brought him back for a reason. I mean, mm. yeah, I, I think this episode originally was planned as the season's finale, so um, have everyone yeah. excited that the Baron de Belém is back, and then. Well, I, I suppose they only did that because they had an idea what would come next and what his next move would be. Otherwise, they'd better have him uh, be destroyed again in this episode. Yeah, bit- the whole thing is just too inconclusive. You know, it, it's all just like you say. You know, while the Baron then just lets them, you know, lets them all just walk off back to show, and it's all just sort of like, oh, you know, and it's. <laughs> bit of a strange ending it's not i have to say it's not one of it's probably it's not one of my it's one of my least favorites of series two this one so um how many uh, arrows do you award the enchantment well i'd give it three um possibly three and a half if, if i was being generous but yeah i'd probably give it about three just because 
yeah, the ending just leaves it a bit flat, I think. And um... yeah, I I agree. Um, I rewatched it recently to prepare for the for the podcast, and I went into it uh, thinking that for me it would be a three arrow episode. But then when I rewatched it, I enjoyed it more than I thought I would. I yeah. totally agree that the end is a uh, yeah falls a bit flat, but uh, in the end, um, I'm in, I'm giving it a very slim four arrows so that would make the three and a half arrows as an as an average uh, that i think we both can uh, agree upon yeah now before we say goodbye to our listeners uh, there's one more thing we have to do and that is um, provide the answer to your question in the beginning how many outlaws have been in the dungeon I think it would have been all of them except for Marion and Nazir, I think. So that would make a total of six. That's my guess. Okay, oh yeah, you're very close. It's actually five. So we see we see five of them down in the dungeon. The three the three that never appear in there or Robert Robert of Huntington, um Frytuck and Nazir. Yeah, they're the three. The three that never that are never seen in the in the in the castle dungeon. I'll uh, I'll try again uh, next time because then <laughs> we will be back to discuss uh, the greatest enemy. Now that's always a bit of a it's always a bit of a hard one to watch. I think I mean such a such a sad episode, but um, I'm I'm sure we're gonna power through all our uh, emotions uh, in the next uh, podcast. Yeah. For now, I want to thank you, Andy, for uh, joining uh, the podcast again. Also want to give uh, credits to uh, Bram Brouwers, a great mu- musician who has made our uh, title tune. And if you as a listener are uh, enchanted by our podcast, uh, we don't want you to steal a silver arrow for us, but we really would appreciate it if you would share this podcast with your friends uh, or give us a good rating or review on iTunes or any other place you can. Uh, if you have anything to say about this podcast or Robin of Sherwood, please send an email to sherwoodpodcast at gmail.com or write to us on facebook.com slash sherwoodpodcast. For now, thank you for listening and may Hearn protect you. I don't like surprises, Gisborne. I never have done, especially when you're involved. <laughs>